This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 24th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Every book in a library represents a judgment about the book's value. Now imagine choosing books for a public school library and all of the different value systems in competition for representation in a public school. At the beginning of Banned Books Week, I spoke with Neil McCluskey about the inevitable battles over books that crop up when children and parents don't get to choose their own school. In fourth grade, um, I was I put together like a you know one of these student displays, and it was about banned books. And uh, the one that really sticks out in my mind is "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret," which was a very popular book among young people. It's about a young girl who's growing up and some of the frustrations that go along with that. This was, of course, abhorrent to me even as as a as a very young person, but. Uh, why do schools ban books, and how do we understand the process of a school banning a book? It may not uh, it may not be as explicit as a, a list of unacceptable books that are that's posted in a library. Yeah. So the first thing we have to do is talk about this term banned. So most of what Banned Books Week addresses is challenges like you're probably talking about that you experienced, where people will say, especially in school libraries, public school libraries, look, I don't want this book either in this library or accessible to kids of a certain age. Even more um, angering to people is I don't want to decide to my child. And all these sorts of challenges to books of their presence in a public library or a public school library or, or on a reading list uh, are not really banning the book. Typically, what it, somebody is saying is, look, I don't want it assigned to my child. That's clearly not banning. That's saying, don't force my child to read it. But they also are saying, look, I'm a taxpayer, and I don't think this is appropriate. And that person has as much right to say, I don't think the book should be there as somebody else who says it should. And they're not saying ban it. They're not saying don't make it so people can get this book. What they're really saying is, if people want it, they should go pay for it with their own money not someone else's. When we hear banned books, I think that the term banned is really kind of uh, sensationalizing it. For the most part, Banned Books Week doesn't deal with people who are saying a book should be totally off limits to everyone. Uh, nobody should support saying, I wouldn't. I don't think this book should be allowed to be sold somewhere and using government to say you can't sell it. But it's totally different when they say, I don't think I as a taxpayer should have to pay for this or that my child should be assigned to read it. We should all be very concerned if government puts its thumb on the scale of a book for it or against it, but but that's not really banning unless they say you shouldn't be able to purchase it at all. When we think about books that are selected or not selected, are there just broad categories that, that schools actively avoid? Are there is there a tension between in uh, particular groups of parents or taxpayers and schools about what kinds of books libraries should contain? Yeah, we've seen really there, there are sort of two general uh, threads of books that get challenged. And you can sort of think of them as challenges on the right and sort of think of them as challenges on the left, although that's really too, uh, uh, too broad a brush to paint this with uh, because everybody is an individual. They're not necessarily thinking left, right, center. Every book is, is sort of a unique book. But generally, the kinds of challenges we see are, are probably first and foremost from people on the right, generally uh, religious conservatives or so. Social conservatives saying, 
I don't want my child to either be required to read or to have access to a book that has what I think is immoral content. Um, sometimes that uh, the Harry Potter books have been challenged for for uh, people think it's teaching witchcraft. A lot of books are challenged because they have uh, sexual content, and people say, "Look, my child should not be reading about this sort of promiscuity." Um, there are lots of moral values that are often espoused in a book that people think are inappropriate. Generally, that's stuff that comes on the right. And then roughly speaking from the left, you have challenges to books um, uh, like To Kill a Mockingbird or others that have sort of content and words that are offensive to racial or ethnic groups. Um, you could think this is not just a, a library situation, but there was, of course, a couple of months ago, uh, a sort of dust up when uh, an award that had been called the Laura Ingalls Wilder Award got changed because people thought there was racist content in her books. Um, and so that's generally the sort of, of challenges we see from the left. So basically, we see either kind of offensive content uh, for, for particular groups or people challenging offensive context, uh, content based on moral or religious values. I guess how, you know, we have public schools. Public schools have libraries. Uh, those libraries should select books that are, uh, in some view, appropriate or, you know, in a broad way, viewed as appropriate for young people to consume. Uh, how, how are they supposed to do that if uh, you have taxpayers on every side of whether or not of any individual book that uh, might be considered for a library? Yeah, that's the thing is that um, people have different definitions of what's appropriate. And and sometimes it's not even just about your moral values or your ethnic group. Sometimes it's people just say, I don't think this is the right age group for people to be reading this book. Um and so it's a great question. How should libraries make these decisions? Now, typically, if you read about the American Library Association or, or school librarians, um, often what they say is, well, the way we select that makes it neutral is that we select books based on do they get good reviews, have they gotten awards, um, and who's the publisher. But you can see that would actually – maybe not intentionally, but it would have kind of a bias toward one, whoever the majority is. So the books that say things that most people like are going to tend to get the best reviews. They're going to tend to get the, the top publishers. And so you would have a sort of reinforcement constantly of majority views and minority views would have a tougher time getting uh, into the libraries. Now, those people are paying taxes, but essentially government, by what they think is a neutral process, would be really putting on the thumb, their thumb on the scale of whatever society thinks is best now, that's what we're going to keep reinforcing. Um, and so that's a big problem. Another problem is that if you look at the makeup of, of uh, the political leanings of librarians in the American Library Association, there's very little debate that they lean heavily toward the left. And that doesn't mean that they're consciously making decisions that say, let's put left-leaning books predominantly in the library. But it's sort of like higher education where it gives people who are on the right a lot of reason that they, you know, they feel sort of extra suspicious saying, I'm not represented among the people who are making decisions about what books go where. And that also means they are also often probably not represented on the groups 
the committees that choose books that get awards, which are often from uh, groups like the ALA. So again, what seems sort of neutral isn't neutral. So how do we get to real neutrality? Uh, and the way you get to neutrality is, is what we have to do in, in schooling generally, because they're, you know how you teach history, how you teach science, all these things are freighted with important values, political implications, all sorts of things that people fight about. And the way you move to neutrality in terms of the government's role is you you if you're going to fund education you give the money to parents you let educators have autonomy to start the schools that they want to start that that run libraries with all sorts of different policies uh, that they think are the best ways to select books. It could be that they, you know, for every conservative book, they pick a liberal book. It could be we're going to be, uh, we're going to choose at random, whatever it is they want to do. But the important thing of choice is you no longer have government putting their thumb on the scale of what books, what ideas, what speech is chosen, and just as importantly, what is not chosen, what doesn't make it into that library, and you no longer have force on either side. You say, educators, you decide what's, what you want to put in the libraries, or librarians, you decide what you want to put in, librarians, in the libraries, but the families, the, the people getting the education, they also get to choose what kind of school and what kind of library and what kind of policies they want. So there's no longer people being forced to support things that they might not like. And I should say that we've even had, uh, you know, I, we run the public schooling battle map, which is has about 260 of these kind of book challenges uh, that we've chronicled around the country, but, but over 2,000 other sorts of values and identity-based battles. And we've seen in, in some places, in Fairfax County, uh, Virginia, where people have even tried to donate books. And the school librarians have said, no, we're not going to accept those because they don't meet our criteria of a, from a good publisher and with good reviews and, and things like that. We shouldn't have to have that sort of conflict. And that's what school choice avoids. People who want those sorts of books in their libraries that their kids are using, they would get to choose a school that did that. And the balance is the educators aren't forced to run a particular library, but they do have to get people to voluntarily use that school. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>